Welcome to this Uvula audio presentation of The Phantom Shark by John Blaine. Volume 3, Chapter 5, The Shark Strikes. Out in Nomea Harbor, a small launch raced to meet the incoming tarpon. Scotty identified it as the quarantine boat and pointed out that the trawler was flying a yellow quarantine flag, a matter of routine on entering a strange port. There was activity on the pier. Two trucks filled with crates arrived and parked near the empty space where the tarpon would dock. Then a huge diesel truck arrived and took up its position. Is this all for the tarpon? Barbie asked. It must be. I don't see any other ships coming in. A clerk who had come with the trucks overheard and he bowed. Oui, mademoiselle, it is for the tarpon. Rick guessed from the color of the clerk's skin and his wiry hair that he was probably half-caste. How is it ordered? he asked. By post, monsieur, from Honolulu. The three turned in a hail from down the pier and saw Vanderklaffens coming toward them. The rotund little Dutchman was perspiring and mopping his face with a large handkerchief. My young friends, he greeted them. Yonder is your boat, I think. That's the tarpon, Scotty agreed. What brings you to the dock, sir? Business, the Dutchman winked. We Netherlanders are a nation of businessmen, and it happens that my business is with your ship. I returned from Suva to find that a local firm in which I have interest has been engaged to supply your craft with foodstuffs and diesel oil. Is that interesting Mr. Kenwood still around here? Barbie asked. No, Miss Barbara but at least I do not see his schooner. Did he not say he was sailing with the dawn tide? As you say, he is very interesting, but also I am afraid he is a skeptic. I have learned in my years on the Pacific that strange tales must be given some credence. But my Australian friend, he believes in nothing. That is why I had no answer yesterday for your question of the phantom shark. Rick and Scotty exchanged glances, remembering that Kenwood had said much the same thing about Vanderklaffens. Do you mean you know something about the phantom shark? Barbie asked eagerly. Vanderklaffens shrugged. Not much, a few whispers. Please, tell us, Barbie pleaded. Very well, but as I say, I do not guarantee the truth of what I have heard. However, I first heard of this creature at Batavia. You know Batavia is the center of much trade. Yeah, it is. In my youth, I dealt with pearls to some extent. He smiled. I'm afraid I was a smuggler of sorts. I thought it most romantic and daring to get pearls past the custom men. And it was from the men with whom I dealt I heard of your phantom shark. Nothing definite, whispers only. 
We fear to speak the name above a whisper. I have heard tales of pearls worth a Rajah's ransom, and I have also heard tales of dead men. Did you ever hear what the Phantom Shark looks like? Rick asked. Never. I doubt anyone knows. It is always at night he comes, face hidden. Only his pearls speak for him. His pearls and one other thing, the shark's tooth held in the palm of his hand. From what I have heard, only men of wealth meet the phantom shark in safety. He sells them pearls. The poor, well, there are tales. Even in Numea, the poor know of this man. He is not a pleasant fellow. Men known to be expert pearl divers have been found floating in the bay, the mark of the shark on them. Rick looked out to where the tarpon was dropping a pilot ladder for the quarantine men and immigration officers. Did you ever hear any reason why the phantom shark would hang out at Nanatiki and Indispensable? Vanderclaffens looked at Barbie and shrugged. I have no wish to frighten you with my old wives' tales. I'm not frightened, Barbie said stoutly. Please, go on. Well, it is a thing I do not like to repeat, because... Who knows if it is true? But I have heard of no less than three pearlers sunk in those waters. It is said that divers have been recovered, dead, still in their diving suits, and always there was the mark of the shark. But couldn't it have been real sharks that got to the divers? Scotty asked. No, I am afraid not. A shark is a coward, don't you know that? One probably would not attack a diver in a suit. The diver has only to shoot air bubbles from his cuff at the shark, and the beast will run away. So I believe that the phantom shark was the one who left the marks of his teeth in those unfortunate divers. Vanderclaffens smiled apologetically. You will refrain from repeating what I have told you. At least do not mention my name. Who knows, there may indeed be a phantom shark, and I certainly would not like him to resent my tales. We won't say a word, Barbie promised. Your friends are waving, Vanderclaffen said. The three turned to see the tarpon coming closer. The quarantine boat had pulled away. In front of the pilot house was a group of figures. Rick instantly recognized the small brown boy, a tall man, and a slender woman. Chada, Doctor, and Mrs. Warren. He waved excitedly and they waved back. In a few moments, the trawler was swinging smoothly into the dock. Kanaka Shoreman grabbed the lines and made them fast. But before the gangplank was even down, Rick and Scotty had jumped to the deck and held out their hands for Barbie and lifted her aboard. A small brown tornado descended on them, pounded them unmercifully, and then bowed with exquisite grace to Barbie. Salam, Mebsehi Barbara, Chada said. Is in America sixty five million six hundred and seven thousand six hundred and eighty three females. So says my world almanac. And of all, sister of my friend Rick is most nice. Barbie shook hands with the Hindu boy, smiling her delight. I'm glad somebody appreciates me, she said. Barbie blushed and ran to greet Paul and Helen Warren. Dr. Warren was a tall, slender man with a neat brown beard. Mrs. Warren was a slim, attractive woman with graying hair and a keen sense of humor. She kissed Barbie and shook hands with Rick and Scotty. When the customs men had finished inspecting passports, 
they went ashore. Dr. Warren introduced the three to the other members of the expedition. There were Bill Duncan, the marine biologist, a young scholarly-looking fellow with thick glasses and straw-colored hair bleached almost white by the sun and sea, Carl Ackerman, the elderly chemist whose principal characteristic was a prominent nose that suffered from the sun, and big Tom Bishop, a hardy, weather-beaten commercial fisherman from Boston who also was master of the tarpon. The crew was Hawaiian and they seemed friendly. A happy lot. Rick was relieved. The last crew of the tarpon, under Captain Turk Belaine, had mutinied off Quangara. The new mate of the vessel was Jack Pualaini, a full-blooded Hawaiian. Although Jack was past middle age, he had the powerful physique of a young man. Rick later learned that he had been a famous Olympic swimmer. He had spent most of his life on American ships and had gone to school in the States. Vanderclaffens came aboard and was introduced all around. After a brief consultation with Tom Bishop, he signaled to the dock. Instantly, the ship swarmed with Kanaka longshoremen, each carrying a box of rations. Jack Pulaney ran from place to place, trying to be sure the stuff was stowed in the proper holds. The ship became a bedlam. Rick, trying to talk to Chada, had difficulty making himself heard. Dr. Warren joined the two boys. Rick, I suppose all your baggage is at the hotel. That's right, sir. We'll have to get it at once. We've planned to get fuel and supplies aboard and leave right away. Two or three hours should do it. Aren't you going to have a chance to see Numea, sir? We'll go ashore with you. A brief glimpse will have to do for now, although we hope to put back in before our job is finished. I'll round up the others, sir, Rick said. And rounding up the others was not so easy. They were scattered all over the ship. But finally, Rick, Scotty, Barbie, Chada, the Warrens, and the three other members of the expedition made their way through the crowd of longshoremen to the dock. Then Barbie and Mrs. Warren had to be helped over the mass of hose that was pumping diesel oil into the trawler's tankers. Vanderclaffens remained, too, checking off the supply orders with Jack. Before they left, however, he said, We should be finished in about an hour, and then, I beg of you, be my guests for lunch at La Bagnarde. As they left the pier and walked into the park, Chada looked around appreciatively. It is a nice place, this. Capital of New Caledonia. Big island. It has 8,548 square miles. Also, it has 53,245 peoples. 11,000 in Numea. That is what it says in the World Almanac. Rick and Scotty laughed. It was like old times to hear Chada quoting from the World Almanac. A Bombay beggar boy, he had educated himself with only the Almanac for his textbook, and he had laboriously memorized everything in it. Because of their deep liking for him and his loyalty, as proved during their Tibetan radar expedition, the Spindra scientists had taken him to America on their return. He had studied in New England for a time and had taken part in the Submobile expedition, remaining in Hawaii with the Warrens when the expedition returned to Spindrift. The boys had missed his quick wit. The party hired Henri's taxi and a less dilapidated second taxi and took a rapid tour of the city. They picked up their baggage and checked out of the hotel, then stopped at Gerald's hotel to get the purchases they had left. 
Barbie, acting as scribe for the trio, wrote a brief note to Spindrift, while Dr. Warren sent a cable notifying the Brants that the two parties had met on schedule. They then repaired to Le Bagnard and found van der Klaffen's waiting, with lunch already ordered. Your ship is fully stocked and ready to sail, he informed them. You will want to eat quickly, yes? It is best if you are out of these waters before dark. There are treacherous reefs. By one o'clock the party was headed back to the ship. The dock was now clear, and the tarpon's decks were clean again. Jack Pualaney, evidently an efficient mate, had things well under control. The boys and Barbie took their luggage to the proper cabins and deposited it. Rick and Scotty shared their old cabin with Chada. Barbie had a small cabin of her own. Then they hurried out on the deck again. The gangplank was already aboard. Longshoremen were standing by to cast off. In a moment, the tarpon would back out and Numea would be left behind. Rick and Scotty went to the pilot house where Tom Bishop and Jack Pualaney were standing. Jack went in and took the wheel while Tom waited on deck to give orders. The ship was shivering a little with the pounding of the big diesel engines. Up on the bow, a Hawaiian sailor stood by the small winch, ready to reel in the heavy bow hawser. Vanderklaffens waved from the dock and called, Bon voyage! Bye, Rick called, and thank you! Tom Bishop cupped his hands to his mouth. Slack off! Rick saw the bow winch turn and the hawser run out, giving the longshoreman slack enough to lift the big heavy loop from the dock pilings when the time came. Slow astern! Jack Pulaney repeated the order and rang the engine room telegraph. The tarpon shuddered and water swirled from under the stern. Cast off the stern line! The ship was moving now. Port your helm! Port helm! Jack repeated from inside the wheelhouse. Suddenly he yelled, She doesn't answer! Rick jumped to the rail and looked astern. The tarpon was swinging back into the dock. As he looked, a steel shoreboat slowly drifted under the stern, two natives pulling frantically to get out of the way. Scotty had hurried to the rail with Rick. Now the fast-thinking ex-marine made a frantic leap for the bow winch. He jerked the control mechanism far down, just as the longshoremen on the pier were getting ready to cast off the bow line. The motor whined and the hawser tightened. There was a groaning of the piles as the full weight of the ship tugged on them, but the tarpon shuddered to a stop. The steel shoreboat swung out of the way. Then Tom Bishop and Jack had control once more. In a moment, the stern line was out on the pier again. The engines were dead, and the trawler was being hauled back into dock. Jack Pulaney came out of the pilot house, his brown face gray. I had no rudder control. I thought we were going to smash, he said. Tom Bishop clapped a heavy hand on Scotty's shoulder. But for this boy, we would have. Son, I never saw anybody move as fast and think so quickly. If Scotty had not stopped the tarpon by pulling in the bowhouser at high speed, they would have run right over the shoreboat, and then they would have smashed into the pier, splintering the rudder and probably smashing the bronze screws against the steel boat. Rick patted his friend on the shoulder. 
You always come through in a pinch, don't you, Scotty? I just happen to be in the right place, Scotty said with a grin. Tom Bishop and Jack Pulaney were already heading down the ladder to the engine room. Rick and Scotty frowned. This way, Tom said. He led them back through the engine room, past the big diesels, to where the ship's wheel connected to the rudder. Rick tried to recall how the ship steered. The wheel in the pilot house, if you remember, was connected to a series of shafts by worm gears. Down the bilge, far aft, the final shaft ended in a crossbar to which heavy steel cables were attached. The cables ran through stuffing boxes out to either side of the rudder. Yeah, we, uh... Tom Bishop said. He lifted an emergency electric torch from its receptacle and shot the beam down. It was the point where the shaft ended in a crossbar. Cables should have been attached to either end of that bar. One was, and the other was curled up on the deck. Broken, Jack Pulaney said. No wonder the hell didn't answer. Tom Bishop picked up the end of the cable and rubbed it. Broken nothing. This has been cut, he exclaimed. A shiver ran down Rick's back. Sure enough, the cable had every appearance of having been sheared with a heavy instrument like a cable cutter. There were a few torn strands in the center. Evidently, it hadn't been cut through completely, but the pressure had made it give way. Look at the other one, Scotty said. Maybe that one was cut too. Tom Bishop knelt and ran his fingers along the cable. It was black with grease. Suddenly, the big fisherman let out an exclamation. Look! The boys and Jack bent low over the cable, like the other one had been cut almost through. Then the cuts had been filled with grease. If Jack had thrown the helm the other way, the cable would have given as easily as its mate had. Rick caught a glimpse of something white, in the quarter inch of bilge water under the cable. He bent and picked it up, and his breath clogged in his throat. He knew now who had cut their cable. The serrated, triangular object in his hand was proof enough. A shark's tooth. Chapter 6 Barbie Asked Some Questions The members of the expedition held a council of war in the Warren's cabin. Except for Barbie, Scotty, and Rick, only Jack Pualani had heard of the Phantom Shark. I'll tell you about it later, Jack said. It's only a story, and it won't solve this problem. Dr. Warren agreed. I'm not at all certain that finding the tooth means anything. Why should this Phantom Shark, if he exists, want to cripple our ship? To keep us from getting to Nanatiki at all, Rick guessed. Tom Bishop brushed the thought aside. Damage to the ship wouldn't keep us from going there. It would have only been a matter of time before the damage was repaired. The question, it seems to me, is who had an opportunity to cut the cables? And what are we going to do about it? Scotty asked. We'll replace the cables, Bishop said. Thanks to Scotty's quick action, it isn't serious. We shouldn't be laid up for more than a couple of days, provided we could get the cable here. Dr. Warren took over. All right, now, all of you think, who had the opportunity to cut the cables? Rick remembered the turmoil on the deck. 
The ship had been crowded with longshoremen. Any of the stevedores could have slipped below and done it, he pointed out. Carl Ackerman shook his head. No Kanaka boy thought this trick up. A Kanaka might have cut the cable, but it probably wouldn't have occurred to him to cut it only to the breaking point and fill the cuts with grease in case it weren't inspected. Unless he had instructions, Bill Duncan said. Jack Poulaney spoke up. That Dutchman was here all the time. He didn't leave until the last of the longshoremen got off the boat. But he's so nice, Barbie objected. Tom Bishop smiled without humor. Most pleasant and interesting man I ever knew was a burglar. Jack, I think, maybe you have something there. Let's call that Dutchman in and ask him to account for himself. He's right outside. Vanderclaffens had come aboard at once as the tarpon swung back into the dock. Jack left and returned. The Dutch trader looked at the circle of serious faces. The crew is talking, he said. A shark's tooth was found near the cut steering cables, no? That is correct, Dr. Warren said. Mr. Vanderclaffens, can you account for all your movements all the time that you were aboard? The Dutchman's eyes narrowed. Ah, so that is the way of the wind, huh? Suddenly he smiled. Behold me, I am dressed in a white suit, am I not? My hands are clean. Is this not the same suit I wore when I met you on the pier, Mr. Brandt? Rick had to admit it looked like the same one. You must realize I have had no time to change. Also, your mate should be able to testify my hands and suit were clean when I went ashore to meet you for lunch. That's true, Jack Poulaney said. Then I rest my defense. Could I have gone into a dirty engine room, cut your greasy cable, fill the cuts with black grease, and show no mark from it? Yeah, you got some there, Tom Bishop admitted. You couldn't have done it and come out unmarked. Whoever did the job had to work in a tight spot. He must have been marked with grease. What about the clerk? Barbie remarked. What clerk? Jack Poulaney asked. Mr. Vanderclaffens, check the list with me. Wait, Vanderclaffens interrupted. You refer to the man with whom you talked as I came down the pier this morning? Scotty nodded. That's the one. He looked like a half-caste. That was no clerk of mine, Vanderclaffens said decisively. I've never seen him before in my life. But he came with your trucks, Rick objected. That may be true. I will find out. Vanderclaffens walked to the door. I feel that the honor of my concern is at stake. I will question my drivers and find out about this man. He bowed and left. I didn't see any clerk that fit that description. How was he dressed? Tom Bishop asked. Khaki pants and shirt, Scotty remembered. Dr. Warren rose. He is probably the one. Tom, will you see about repairs? I think I will consult the Numea police. The rest of you might as well amuse yourselves. We will be in port for some time, it appears. Mrs. Warren and the two scientists elected to remain aboard. Jack Poulaney also remained aboard to keep an eye open for further sabotage attempts. The four younger members of the crew decided to go ashore with Tom Bishop to see about repairs. As they walked the length of the pier into town, 
Rick asked a question that had been on his mind. What do you suppose that steel boat was trying to do? You'd think that they would have had more sense than to pull out from behind that pier just as we got underway. Scotty looked at him sharply. Maybe you got something there, boy. If we'd hit them, the screws would have been dented or maybe even broken. We'd have been in a much worse mess than we are now. I doubt that they pulled into the way on purpose, Tom Bishop said. But I guess it's possible. Maybe we better find that boat and ask the men some questions, Scotty suggested. No, I've been trying, Tom agreed. But don't push them too hard or they might resent it with knives. These people are pleasant enough, but touchy. Scotty nodded. You coming, Rick? Rick hesitated. What about Barbie? I'm going for a walk in the park, Barbie said. What for? I just want to. Rick saw the stubborn set of her chin that she was determined. Knowing Barbie as he did, he realized the argument would get him nowhere. I am going with Scotty, Shana said. Okay, Rick said grudgingly. Guess I'll stick with Barbie. You don't need to do that, Barbie said. Look, I feel like a stroll myself, Rick said grimly. His sister was unpredictable, and he sensed some reason behind her sudden yearning for a walk through the park. At the end of the pier, the party separated. Tom Bishop went to the left toward a waterfront store that looked as if it might be a ship's chandler's. Scotty and Chata turned right to follow the waterfront in search of the shore boat. Rick and Barbie walked toward the park. Once out of earshot of the others, Rick said, Come on, Toehead, what's in your mind? Well, Barbie said reasonably, If we want to find out who cut the cables and why, we have to find the phantom shark, don't we? Rick grinned. Well, that's all, huh? Dr. Warren went to the police, remember? And probably the police have been hunting the shark for years without success. So how do you expect to find him? We women have intuition, Barbie said loftily. I wouldn't expect you to understand. I can't imagine why there aren't more women detectives. Rick could, but he didn't feel like arguing the point. They reached the park and walked along the shady walks. Now and then they passed people sitting on the benches, but Barbie kept going. Rick let her lead the way. She evidently had some destination in mind. Around a turn of the lane they found it, a park bench, occupied by old Barthelme. Barbie gave him her best smile, which, as Rick had once said, could charm the flowers off of wallpaper. She sat down beside the old man. How are you, Monsieur Barthelme? I am well, Mademoiselle Barbara, the oldster replied gravely. Thanks to you I have dined. Now I enjoy the sunshine. It is warming my old bones. Rick sat down on the other side of the old man and contented himself with listening. You were kind to warn us about the phantom shark, Barbie said. Barthelme stiffened and looked anxiously up and down the path. Then, to make sure they were not overheard, he rose and explored the Bougainvillea shrub under which the bench rested. Satisfied, he said in a low voice, you understand, even the name is dangerous. Mademoiselle, I beg you, do not even think it. We have to, Barbie said. The shark cut our rudder cables. 
The old man sucked in his breath. I was afraid of this, he groaned. I knew you should not go aboard that ship. How did you know? Rick asked quickly. Barthelme shrugged. As I told you, I read your destination in the paper. But you know more about the shark than that, Barbie said coaxingly. I know you do. Please, Monsieur Barthelme, tell us who he is. He shook his head. I do not know. Even if I did, I could not give you such dangerous information. Barbie's blue eyes narrowed thoughtfully. Even if you don't know who he is, you know how he works, don't you? You know that the American who insulted you yesterday buys pearls from him. Barthelme trembled violently. Sacre nom! How did you find that out? I could have swore only I... Barbie sat back satisfied. And how did you know that? He made another quick inspection to be sure nobody was listening. By chance, only by chance, there is a small hut where I sometimes sleep. It is on the beach near Ansvata. I was there asleep. I woke up and I heard this American. He was on the beach itself, and he talked with a person who had come in a small boat. I could see the boat. Could you see the other man? Rick asked eagerly. None. It was not possible. It was very dark. The flashlight carried by the American reflected once on his face, and I saw he wore a black hood. Also, his clothes were black, and I believe he wore gloves. I was very afraid, so I did not move. But I heard the American speak. He said that these were fine, and I believe he spoke of the pearls, but also he said they were not enough. He spoke of great sums of money. Never did I hear the, the other speak. He would nod or he would shake his head, and the American said, When can I see you again? When will you have more? The creature on black wrote a number in the sand, which he erased at once. I think that much money changed hands. I do not know. Then the, the other one got into his boat and rode away toward Ilnu. You know, it is that island in the bay. The American walked to the road and went down it toward Numea. That is all. I swear, I do not know any more. Barbie shivered. But you actually saw him? What night was that? Rick asked. It was just three nights ago. I will never forget that night, monsieur. Barbie gave Rick a meaningful look, which he interpreted correctly. He took a few francs from his pocket. The old man shook his head. Please, yesterday I was hungry and you were kind, but I still have your money. I do not need more. Rick respected the old man's pride. He put the francs away. One more question then, please, sir. You didn't see the number that the shark wrote in the sand? None. I could not see. I did not even know if it was a number. That is only what I think. The two brands thanked him and then walked in the direction that Scotty and Chana had taken. Well, how's my intuition? Barbie asked pertly. Pretty good, don't you think? Rick grinned. Not bad for a beginner. You know, we've proved that Vanderclaffens isn't the shark. Because he was in Suva three nights ago. What time was it when we landed there? Around midnight, 
and he was waiting. He's in the clear, all right. Barbie wrinkled her nose thoughtfully. How about Mr. Kenwood? He was here three nights ago. I remember Vanderclaffen said he traded in Shell. He must have met Pearl Shell. How do you know? Rick looked at her in astonishment. My book, The Daughter of the Moon. It's all about pearls. Really? I think I'd better borrow it, Rick said. Not on your life, Barbie replied firmly. Rick got a glimpse of Scotty and Chata far down the waterfront. The boys were walking toward them. Rick and Barbie stopped and waited. It couldn't have been Kenwood, Rick said. He's gone. He couldn't have cut the cables anyway. And don't forget what Gerald said. I remember. When he offered to buy some pearls for me, he said he would meet the man who had them tomorrow night. That's tonight. And wasn't he careful not to say who the man was? Yeah, for plenty of good reasons, Rick said. He held Scotty and Chata. Any luck, guys? They shook their heads. Then, as they came to within conversation distance, Scotty said disgustedly, We still don't know. We found the boat and the men, but we didn't get a thing out of them. But we got information, Barbie said proudly. She told them of what they had learned from old Barthelme. Scotty nodded his approval. Looks like our little sister has the makings of a detective. Barbie's nose went into the air. Makings, huh? She said tartly. Well, I've uncovered more information than either of you, so there. She took Chata's arm and half dragged him away. Scotty started to follow, but Rick put a hand on his arm. Wait, wait a second. I just had a brainstorm. Remember what Gerald said about meeting the man who has the pearls? Well, that's tonight. Scotty nodded. I got it. We go keep an eye on Mr. Gerald. That's it. We'll have to sneak away without Barbie knowing, though. But we can do it. I have a hunch that Brother Gerald will lead us right to the Phantom Shark.